Welcome back into the great Scott show, the great sports callers, open think tank sponsored by suit up on a Friday and uh, not just any Friday, but man, when you got those games starting, you know, go ahead, hit the music, baby. March madness. Let the games begin. I am. I am all about it. The, The, Usually it's on the Thursday, right? Your first slate of just games beginning at 11.15 and going all the way until past 11.15 at night. Just over 12 straight hours of do-or-die college basketball. It is as good as it gets. You know what? I could sit here and tell you that if my bracket does great, I'm not going to lie to you and act like I'm some wizard. I'm going to say, yeah, I got lucky. And if it stinks, I'm going to remind everybody, you know what, it stinks, but uh, the people that have the best bracket, yeah, they got lucky because that's part of it, man. There is some skill involved, but at the end of the day, when it starts with 68 teams, and now we're down to 64 after the first four last night, and you cut it from 64 to 16, the majority of you listening, maybe all of you listening right now, will all be tearing up your bracket, I would say, by about maybe 4.35 p.m. tonight. Joining us now to talk a little bit about March Madness and a lot about the Saints and the Pels is our Saints and Pelicans correspondent, Pronola segment, Mr. Gus Cattengale. And um, last week we, we got an update on Gallo the Rooster, who uh, Gus basically stood down. So now that that rooster problem's out of his way, did you have time to fill out a bracket this year, Gus? How, how are you? Have you been looking at this bracket as much as most years, or did you find yourself just say, you know what, I'm going to do this in about one minute and just be done with it. Um, it's interesting. I, I kind of found myself getting the assistance of, say, you know, experts and people that say uh, live in the desert and things of that nature. On the, you know, I work, Scott. You, you get the odds makers and prognosticators on the show, and then you have your bracket open when they talk. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's kind of what I've done. Um, because I think one of the things that we, we all are going to encounter, and I actually think the teams as well this season, is there's a lot of unknown because of what COVID did this year. And, you know, you have teams that had to pause, missed games, you know, started on and off. I mean, they didn't make the tournament, but obviously one of the teams that we follow with the SB in New Orleans is uh, Nichols and they took literally like what a month off of basketball started and didn't lose but one game and then made it all the way to the final in the conference, you know, tournament. So, and, and they didn't do very well to start the season, but that month kind of helped them. So I don't, I don't know. I had coach John Brady on the show um, to see what he thought. I had Corey Brewer on from the Pelicans player of player development, um, who was a two time national champion with Florida and, it was interesting to kind of hear their takes on, on what they see. What I gathered before we get into teams and stuff is coach, coaching, um, experience with certain coaches, how their teams are playing consistent. Um, and it's one of the things, you know, when you look at LSU this year and stuff like that, have they been consistent? I know Will Wade has said that's been one of the problems with this team, have they been consistent? But they, a lot of people sort of like what they look like in Nashville, the SEC tournament. So, Looking at teams that have been consistent, and then quite honestly, um, maybe it's because I was referring to it when it comes to the Pelicans, but who has that that alpha mentality? You know, um, you hear you hear a lot of times that that dog mentality or something of that nature that that attack that that person that regardless of environment, lack of environment, whatever, um, can bring it that's going to be consistent because you're going to have some attendance, but it's not going to be what you normally have. You're not going to have the, the following, perhaps some of these big schools that would they normally have that travel. That's not going to be the case. So teams that maybe could have used that motivation or, or used that crowd, maybe don't, I don't know. I just, I, maybe like I said, looking at the games this week with the Pelicans and Damian Lillard and you know, that guy doesn't matter if there's an empty motor center or a full-out, you know, sold-out motor center, because that's dangerous if you have a, a sold-out arena with that guy because he just, you know, has that mentality to attack. So I, I honestly, Scott, have paid more attention to filling out the bracket this year than in the past because, quite honestly, I felt like 
in the past, you can watch SVP, you can watch Sports Center the last week or month, look at the tournament games, and kind of get an idea of who's the best teams that are playing right now. I think you're going to see some surprises here. I honestly do. Yeah, I, the 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 magic, the surprises, the unknown. I mean, Georgia Tech's already lost a player due to COVID protocols. Um, it, it's 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 maybe going to be the wildest ever. But my guess is Gus Gus Kangel, our guest, in talking to those experts, it it seems like all the quote experts are all extremely high on Gonzaga this year. You hear them talk about Gonzaga and say, listen. You know, this isn't the Gonzaga of 15 years ago that maybe gets overhyped and loses in the second round. I, I heard one, uh, Mark Titus, say that he thinks Gonzaga, the, the team in 2017 that was only a few minutes away from winning the national championship, would lose to this year's Gonzaga team by 20. I mean, you're, you're hearing experts all jump on Zaga this year. Got ones that typically don't always do. You know, some that are in the past are like, I'm not, come on, that's more of a fan thing, analyst thing. But they are the overwhelming favorite, which, look, uh, the overwhelming favorite, <laughs> how often do they actually win the national championship in college hoops? It's rare. So it's not like that's a, um, a definitive reason to pick them. But I'm not going to argue against anybody that decides, you know what, I think this is the year the Zags do it because that's what all the, quote, experts are telling you, Gus. Exactly. And I think that's what I was saying, your team's, and I was watching on Sports Center because uh, it was Wednesday morning. Might have been Thursday morning. I lost track of days, dude. Um, <laughs> but it was one of their college basketball analysts that the question was asked to him, give me the top five NBA prospects. Who does he think is going to go one, two, three, four, five in the NBA? And the one common denominator all those players have, man, is they can take over the game. And, and that's what I was thinking. That, that's common, right? You've always seen that if you have a dynamic point guard – if you have a guy that can, you know, win games for you, man, that's hard to stop, you can do that. But um, so in those teams, uh, look, Oklahoma State, it's, you know, Gonzaga's point guard. It's USC's six-foot-nine guy that I think I would love to see with the Pelicans. Um, there's, there's players that I, I think, would, you know, kind of thrive in a situation like this, man. Um, and I think because of that and because of, COVID not being able to go maybe see a lot of different games and scouts and things of that nature, we're going to get to see it. I remember going to the draft last year, remember? We were like, I couldn't tell you who we're who's picking what because you didn't get to see the games. This is going to be a showcase, you know? Started last night, you saw a close game, you know, or two, and I think you're going to see them, you know, moving forward. And this is for them to showcase whether or not they belong at their next level. ESPN 1420.com, Gus Cagiel, our guest. Uh, let the games begin. Uh, I'm fired up for it. I don't know how much of it I'm going to get to watch, but uh, when I do have a chance, just knowing I'll be able to kick it on and there'll be games on. And the close finishes, the do-or-die situation, there truly is just nothing like the bracket. We missed it last year, and I'm glad we get it back this year. Gus is our guest. It's the Great Scott Show, sponsored by Suit Up. Gus, uh, it happened on Sunday. Um we're not going to spend a ton of time on it because I know that on your show Monday, on my show Monday, it was probably the number one topic of conversation. But I, 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 I'd be remiss if I didn't get your thoughts on Drew Brees. Um, I was not surprised. Um, there was some scuttlebutt out there that he might retire last Sunday. Someone told me that on Friday. Uh, he did. And now he gets ready for the TV career. But it was this weird thing where I think, from my standpoint, there were a lot of fans that were – you know, they'll, they'll always love Breeze, but they were also kind of felt like it was it was time. And there was this nerve of like, what if he does come back? What are the Saints going to do? What happens here? That they never were able really processing like, man, think about all the stuff he did until he actually said like, or his kids rather said, you know, our daddy's retiring. Um, and then immediately, I think there was just, you know, uh, folks from all over the place that are Saints fans in the area were all just talking about, breeze and what he did and i can just say gus we've discussed it many times but like you go back to the saints pre-2006 i mean they would sell out games but it would take energy buying up thousands of tickets the day of you know you we would we, <laughs> we 2006 starts they've sold out every game since now i think part of that was in 06 the fan base was just so grateful that the team didn't leave because there was that deep fear after katrina but that then 
basically snowballed into this era of man, this guy's really good. Because when they signed Breeze, it wasn't it wasn't this giant celebration among Saints in the moment. Uh, Super Bowl win, but also this he gave that fan base not just a Super Bowl win, but also this belief that they could actually go to the Super Bowl, which, let's be honest, Gus, prior to 06, you never really got that feeling. I mean, they won one playoff game ever, and we've covered it and we've talked about it, but you never actually felt like they were a contender. All the philanthropic stuff across the board in terms of a relationship with an athlete and a fan base and a city and a region, I think Breeze, his relationship is more unique than, than probably any other athlete in the history of American sports. Yeah, I mean, there's just so many areas to really start it out with. I mean, you can start with um, just what he meant to the franchise and, and what he brought into. I mean, you and I have talked about this before. We both worked where we did when we started. Our- That's hard. I can almost start back with because I was talking about it this week. That's hard. I can almost start back with because I was talking about it this week. I saw a couple of threads on it about it, there's no question best player that, to, to wear the uniform. And then obviously the best quarterback, but who's second? And I saw a lot of people say Aaron Brooks. And when you think of what Aaron Brooks did in that era, that he, when he first came up and it was, it was, it was fascinating. I actually said 30 for 30 on him. Even if it's a local 30 for 30, because that, that fighting, yeah. like time, the same offense was exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Under under Mora, they became competitive, and under Mora, you know, there was playoff appearances for the first time. And under Mora, though, it was a defensive-led team, right? Morton Anderson was the offense. So here comes Aaron Brooks, and, you know, you remember the first start, dude, uh, against the 49ers, and this dude's, you know, running all over the place. He's flinging the ball downfield. You're like, oh, my goodness. I mean, it, yes. Wow, and um, and then it just drastically changed over the, you know a short amount of time to the point where you know here's this Drew Brees guy. But before then, you never even expected or were excited when the offense took the field, you know. And Drew Brees single-handedly changed the thing. It changed every single time he stepped on the field. Period. Him alone. Him alone. When you look at the players at the team on the Super Bowl, and I remember, I think you made that mention last week as well, and have in the past. I mean, it's you know a seventh round draft pick in Colston. It's a NFL Europe guy, special team return receiver in Lance Moore. It's, it's Devery. Is he going to catch the ball or not? Henderson. It's Meacham finding his niche to be able to stretch the field. Jeremy Shockey, a castaway from. You know, the Giants that was washed up, that was just the right amount of attitude the team sort of needed. Um, offensive linemen that went on to sign top contracts at their position when they left the Saints. Um, because of Drew Brees. Drew Brees made good players great and great players re- really good. I mean, it, and I don't think the Saints really, when you look at it, had a bunch of players that you would say, you know, sold jerseys anywhere else. So what I've enjoyed this week, Sunday and Monday, was looking at the highlights and seeing everybody post highlights of 06, 7, 8, 9, and there's Breeze spinning, you know, in between two rushers, popping up, flinging the ball and leading him full speed. I mean, we forget yards to Henderson leading him full speed. I mean, we forget because of what we've seen the last two years, how much athleticism Drew Brees really had, how much of an arm he actually really had, um, the accuracy, the just how quick, man, the Saints offense was, how quickly he got rid of the football, um, which goes to decision-making. We just we were spoiled. And when you saw the highlights this week, you went, wow. And it, it almost adds to his greatness to think that he had lost all of that in the last couple of years. We knew that if team still won, possibly would have won three years in a row of 13 games, man. I mean, you know, I think who was it? We had someone on this week on our show, man, I mentioned that before it was Ed Daniels. He mentioned like before Drew Brees, I think the Saints have won 11 games in, in, in franchise existence. And what, six times 
you know, since Breeze or more. I mean, it became to the point where it wasn't playoffs. It wasn't if you won double-digit games. It was, you know, are, are they going? Are they winning the Super Bowl? Not even going. I mean, that that forget that and and don't remember what that was like. I mean, forget that and and don't remember what that was like. I mean, you would have been laughed out the building, Scott, when you and I worked over at Intercom. We were talking about the Saints being a Super Bowl team. You couldn't even see the path to that, and you went into every season waiting for OTAs and mini camp and, you know, in, in training camp, because you couldn't wait for the new season to start. You, you made sure you got your dome foam and nachos and sat down for the offense because you couldn't wait to see, you know, bombs and touchdowns. And you had your phone ready to record because you knew that Drew Brees was going to find a way to score a touchdown. You knew when there was a record about to be broken, you know, what Sean, I mean, it's incredible. They went through 79 seasons, and the I mean, it's incredible. They went through 79 seasons, and the only reason they got seven wins was because he threw 5,000 yards. I mean, everyone in the world knew they had to throw. They didn't have a run game. They didn't. It was just it was just nuts when you look at everything he had to do, and it's what you said. He gave this chance, this team, a chance to win every single Sunday. Every single Sunday. Very rarely did you and I ever do a show together, a Friday together, and go, oh, you know this. Well, there's always next week. You know, I mean, it was, it was never anything like that. We, we, we talk about this is going to be a tough matchup and things like that, but it was never, for the most part, over his 15 years where you and I went, the Saints have no shot of winning this game. Right. Very rarely did we ever feel that. And then on top of it, you mentioned the bad defense. If you look at the all-time record for quarterbacks who took a lead, gave their team a lead, with less than three minutes to go, guard than Brady and Manning has more L's in that regard than Brady and Manning has more L's in that regard than Brady and Manning combined. And my point is, it tells you something about, hey, it's not like all of those, you know, when we say that defense was was that bad for a couple of those years, it was that bad. Not just historically bad in terms of the records, but in, in terms of the amount of come-from-behind wins he didn't get because he got him the lead, but then the team couldn't hang on. Um, you were always in it when he was the quarterback, and now, um, you know, and now, and now he's moving on, and it's not a surprise, and it, it, it's going to feel very different. It is different. Jameis Winston, Taysom Hill, they say they want to have a quarterback competition. Is this just all talk, Gus? I mean, is this... Are we are we entering a situation where Jameis is going to start, Taysom's going to do a Swiss Army knife roll, just like you and I said, quarterback in camp? An open competition, a quarterback in camp. I do think it's a, it's an open competition. I, I, I do in terms of starting, right? I mean, I, I do believe that Sean Payton is um, honest and – trustworthy in that he's told both quarterbacks that this is what he wants and he's promised, I think, out of respect to uh, Taysom Hill, you know, to say, hey, look, you know, you're going to have an opportunity to compete. And I think he's going to say the same thing when it comes to um, Jameis Winston. You know, you're going to have an opportunity – to go and, and, and compete, and, and I think the main reason why, it's, it's one of the things that I was talking to several people there on the show this week about, I think it's a good thing, Scott. I think it's exactly what the Saints sort of need um, from this aspect of it. Um, sure, if you had a Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers or somebody like that that you would have been able to trade for or get and come in, um, that would invoke trust and confidence in the team already because those guys have quote unquote, you know, skins on the wall. They, they, they know what they would be doing. I, I get that. Um, but you don't know what these two guys are going to be able to bring to you to an extent. I do think they have the respect of their teammates. I do think people like Taysom. Um, I think in those four starts, he did win three. You, you can, you know, at the end of the day, Wins matter. Did you help the team win? Um, you know, you look at Coach O this week, and he said, look, the reason Johnson's took the first snaps because he's the only quarterback on campus that's 2-0. and So I do think that matters. Does it mean he gets the job? 
Um, he says it's a quarterback competition. You got to go earn it. I, I, and I think it's important that you set that environment truthfully and honestly because that's how you win the team. That's how you win the locker room, right? At the end of the day, if you've ever been in an athletic competition or, or an organization or a team, players know, man. The, the, the quickest way to lose a locker room is to play players you know if your teammate can't help you, yet coach for some reason has them in there. Right, Scott? I mean, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I mean, where you're sitting there going, what, what is this guy doing? He's not helping me. Um, it loses confidence. You can lose the locker room. You start having clicks. You start doing those things. Why the Saints were so successful the last couple of years is because everybody knew their role. You had multiple leaders. Those leaders led their position groups. Their position groups knew all they had to do was do their job because the other leaders with their position groups were going to make sure they did that. Well, one of the biggest leaders on your team is no longer there. So who's going to be that offensive leader? If you close your eyes and look at who are the captains, the leaders on this team, it's overwhelmingly defensive, right? It's Cam Jordan, it's Demario Davis, it's um, you know, special teams captains, it's things like that. Who is the guy now on offense? Who is going to do that? Um, I thought last year, and I you know, said it to you, I thought Alvin Kamara took a step last year. You saw him run out on the field, pick up C.D. Deuce when he was limping. You saw him go do things a lot last year that made you think he was that. So I, I'm interested to see if whoever takes the snaps this year primarily as the starter leans on that. Um, but if you wouldn't have that competition, I think the rest of the team wonders, okay, well, well, who's going to? And when you have a legit competition, or at least that environment starts that way, um, players are going to see it develop on the field. And what I think is great, honestly, in a post-Jubilee's era now is, that it is a competition, that it is going to be decided on the field because it's going to make OTAs competitive. It's going to make minicamp competitive. It's going to make training camp competitive because those two guys are going to be judged by every snap, by every practice, how to bounce back after bad practice. If he throws a pick or two, how's that demeanor? Does it affect them? Does he throw a pick in the first team drill and then can't recover later? Does he – you know, get angry because that completion could have been out in front, not to the right. Because all those things, that was Drew. Drew never hit the ground. There was no incompletion. So you have players on offense that are used to operating a certain way. Um, granted, these two guys are completely different. They're going to operate different. The offense is going to operate different. You, you want it to see as much as possible to what they want, but Sean's going to call plays and tailor the philosophy to who those guys are. And I think they're sort of different. Um, I think they both have good arms. Uh, I think they both, I think competitive fire, that's for sure. And I think the one thing that is interesting with Winston is we had Kat Terrell in the studio on Thursday, and you know, she was one of the few reporters that got to actually see training camp practices in person. Like you and me, we didn't get to go to a lot. It was very limited because of COVID. And I didn't get to see the nuances, the, the, the things that you maybe don't get the reports on or see the videos of because you didn't get a ton of it. And I spoke to three people, including Duncan, John DeShazer, a couple of other people that were there, a ton, and they were all impressed. They all thought that Jameis Winston should have been the backup, named the backup. Um, and, and were surprised that he didn't see action when, when Breeze was hurt. That tells me a lot. That tells me a lot. Um because they, they saw certain things at practice that made him think that he can do it. So if you open up camp or practices, OTAs with the competition, and then you let it play out, I think that's how the team will rally behind that person. So when that person is named the starter, they would have earned it, Scott. And I think it, it falls in line with what Sean Payton's always said, that it doesn't matter how you got here, if – if you earn that spot, that route, that rep to, to dress, you're going to be depended on. So once that happens, you're depended on. And that's how this team's operated. It, it, if you're dressing and you're called on the field, you're expected to succeed. You're expected to play well. So how do you get there? Well, show me. And, and that's Sean Payton's philosophy the last couple of years, especially to kind of get back into this run that they've had. And, um, 
I'm excited, but it was interesting. Catherine said the same thing too. She's like, as a journalist, as somebody that's covered, you know, sports is like, we're, we're actually going to get to see it play out, you know, um, can't overreact after a bad practice or pass, but how do they do it? Scott, here's the other aspect. How many preseason games are going to be? Is it three? Is it two? We know they're, they're going to try and, and looks like 17 games. So I don't think you're going to get four preseason games, likely three. Well, how do you do it? Do you start, you know, Jameis or Taysom in each game with the ones? Because they, they have to work with the ones evenly. And then that third one, you see who takes the lead. You go by the quarter. Um, do you split the first game by a quarter? I mean, it, I mean, does it matter if they if they see more reps with the ones? How does that work? So, you know, in the past, dude, OTAs was like, let's just get to camp. I mean, and then once you got to camp, it's like, let's just get to the season. How, how many times did I come on a Friday in August and say the number one storyline for the New Orleans Saints is to exit camp healthy? Like that's it. You know, we, you didn't worry about position battles. I mean, you and I could try to stretch segments into, you know, who's the second corner and who's the safety and all that. But you knew primarily the last two years especially who the, who the Saints were, who was starting, who was doing what, who was the leaders. Well, you lost a lot of players that saw action this year, um, whether it was due to release or – retiring or taking better deals somewhere else like Trey Hendrickson. So who are those guys? Um, that roster isn't filled out yet. They haven't really gone shopping in free agency just yet. Can't probably do too much. The draft's going to matter. Do they move up? Do they take a lot of picks? Are those draft picks going to be dependent on like it was in 2017? Um, you know, how important is going to be that draft? You have a hole with Jennifer Jenkins out. It, you, you have got to address that linebacker position. Um, the offensive line, are, what are you doing with Armstead in the future? Even if you restructure his contract like everyone's expected this week to, to get under the cap and stuff, he, he's going to want another payday later. So do you go tackle in this draft somewhere? Um, you know, what about that other p- receiver position you know, with Emmanuel Sanders? On? There's a lot of veteran receivers right now that haven't signed the first week of free agency. Could you maybe get a bargain receiver for a one-year deal? Emmanuel Sanders, he signed a one-year deal with Buffalo. So what's to say that you don't find a, a corner or a receiver that's willing to sign a one-year deal um, to come in this year, sort of help bridge until you can figure it out a little bit more? So I, I'm fascinated, actually, by all of the different little moves you can. Yet through the first week, they have been able to – get down to the cap number they needed to, Scott, without drastically changing, I think, um, a ton of their pieces and, um, and, and and who they are. ESPN 1420.com, you know, you figured the Saints getting below the cap, the cuts they had to make, and we talked about it a good bit last week. Uh, fortunately, you know, they to this point, they've still kept Latavius Murray. I know that he was kind of maybe, maybe not. Uh, they've They've you know, they re-signed uh, P.J. Williams, which isn't a big surprise. I mean, he just comes back on a cheap one-year deal. They've got, they've, they've got a big hole at corner with Jenkins gone. There's no question. How do they fill it? They fill it on the bargain rack. I mean, that's what they're going to do. The, the, anytime a guy's cut, and there were some guys that were cut, the hope is, Gus, that you're going to have a lot of guys willing to take one-year deals with different teams and play their way back into the market for a more lucrative deal next year when the cap goes up and it will go up and that's good news for all the teams especially the saints when you look at their cap situation it's the great scott show espn 1420 i'm scott prather great scott show sponsored by suit up visiting with gus Catengale. And, and that leads me into this next topic i wanted to just get your thoughts on briefly gus and that is the new tv deals the nfl's era of Free TV is still there, right? You still see the networks at play, CBS, NBC, Fox, ABC, slash ESPN. Now, ESPN isn't network, but you're you're also seeing the NFL now really begin to move into the streaming world because under this new TV deal, which is worth over $100 billion, so like we said, it's going to help the cap go up, um, you're seeing Amazon Prime airing a game every, you know, every Thursday night game. A few of those will also be on the NFL Network, but not not that many. Most of it is exclusive to 
a streaming platform that paid a billion dollars a year for it. You know, ESPN Plus, uh, Peacock Plus, um, or, or Peacock, Paramount Plus, these, these services didn't exist 18 months ago. And now NFL games will be streamed on them this year. Now, that's, they're also, those games will also be streamed on um, you know, TV at the same time. My point is, the NFL, that's all part of the negotiation, right? You can also stream these games on your streaming platform in addition to airing them over the counter. When this current TV deal that they just agreed upon ends in 2033, and maybe they'll renegotiate before it, it officially ends, like, how, how much is this? The, do you think this is the last... TV deal where you're still going to be able to watch the majority of the games, the vast majority of the games on regular TV? Or do you think by the time 2033 rolls around, when our kids are older and teenagers and they've pretty much grown up in uh, a cable cord cutting world, Mm -hmm. that the NFL is going to still be making deals worth over $100 billion, but more of it's going to be with streaming platforms as opposed to actual TV networks? Man, I got to tell you, Scott, it, it, I think to me, and maybe call me old-fashioned, it's going to be an interesting time moving forward, isn't it? Um, I, 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 as it is, I think there's so many people that stream already. Like you say, they've cut the cord or done that. I mean, I know we've had discussions in our household about it. Is that something that we want to do? And um, I've made mention before, too, it depends. By the time you add nine here, ten there, 20 here, 10 there, um, you know, you're close to that. You might save 30, 40 bucks uh, to do it. Do you want to stream it? I, I think one thing that, that has to improve is, um, and it is, the speeds. You know, the more people that do this, the more taxing the streaming services and the broadband and stuff is going to be uh, already, whether it's Cox or AT&T or whatever, you know, they've been promoting a ton lately in the last year or two to go up to higher speeds. You can have multiple devices streaming because, you know, right now I can go put it on on TV and, you know, Carver has his tablet to watch his Disney. My wife has no interest in either Disney or TV, so she's, you know, on her tablet doing something. So um, you may have to go from 30 to 60 to $90 a month internet service to do that. So I think when you put it all together, you're really saving it. And I think the problem is going to be if you start getting to where you're trying to find where to sort of go. I just, I just wonder as well if you're going to have residual impact on the restaurant and bar business because there are still a lot of places that use those games to either have them in the background or people go watch games and those things. So I, I still think there's a there's a home for terrestrial TV per se, Scott, because. You know, now again, with technology and things the way it is, I remember just several years ago before you literally would have to hook up your laptop using an HDMI cable to one TV in the bar so people could watch a streaming game. Now you don't, right? I mean, now you essentially can do, um, you know, a Fire Stick or an Apple TV or, or something of nature, or these TVs now have um, smart TVs. And so you could pull up the app through that to do those things. So I just still think at the end of the day, it, it may not be, but I don't know. Look, I was talking to a bar owner here from Tracy's about that. And um, they, they have to buy like the direct NFL or the Sunday ticket, which is something I see SBN is interested in trying to get um, with their property. I love the ticket um, to get to watch all the different games and things of that nature. So I already kind of am in that world where I would, purchased that my sister lives in vermont to saints fan you know we watch through the ticket and things of that nature so i i it makes sense for that but for bars and restaurants you have to buy per how many tvs you have so it's not just the you know 300 200 whatever it is for the ticket it's thousands of dollars for them to do that if they can save by streaming it and say you join ESPN Plus, if ESPN picks up the Sunday ticket and they make it part of the ESPN Plus, plus package Huge. at a, at 100 bucks, um, that's massive. There goes DirecTV. You know what I mean? There, there goes a lot of different things. So 
it is interesting because you're seeing ESPN make cuts. You're seeing games being broadcast from the studios now. And let me tell you something. While I can't stand it, do not think that networks did not see that they absolutely can broadcast games. They did it all year. Football, basketball, they're doing baseball, and you're not there. You know, I, I'm doing a game tonight um, for the women's WNIT. I got a game today and tomorrow. It's a double elimination. But all everybody plays two games. I, I'm not in Memphis because of COVID. And, you know, the WNIT is setting up a feed, at least finally, all season. I've had to use fake crowd noise because I don't hear what's going on and I'm calling off the monitor. But the, the higher levels, like your NFLs and your, and your NCAAs and TNT, TNT's been calling games all season with, you know, their guys not there. I mean, you have Marvin one play, he's at his house, and you have the color analyst at his house um, doing it. But they're, they're hearing the audio from the arena. Um, Todd Graffinini calls, you know, called the Portland game last night at the New Orleans arena. They have monitors at the NBA that's plugged in, so you're there but not there. Um, that saves that saves costs, that saves travel, that saves expense, that saves TV crews, that, that saves a lot of different things. So um, I think it's going to be very interesting in the next 10 years of that deal. You're right, how we, how we consume the product, but something tells me to get $10 billion out of that per year for $100 billion for 10 I can't imagine they're not thinking of how that's going to be consumed, but they haven't done studies that it is going to go through those streaming services, that it is going to grow their streaming services, that they're convinced people are going to use the streaming services, that that's where it's going. Um, look, I'll just use the example where two years ago when Tiger won the Masters. I mean, I'm at the mall because remember they changed that final day and I had to go to the mall to go, get I think Carver Easter clothes or something and you know he's playing at Lakeside Mall in the kid area and me and about 50 other people are in the little bar stool area with our phones yeah. watching the 18th hole with Tiger Woods mm-hmm. so you know I went at home I went at the TV it was HD it was crystal clear I mean I, I could hear the birdies chirping <laughs> you know, I put in my AirPods <laughs> it's, it's fine so yeah, man, I guess when you look at it like that, if, you know, I can see it working. I, I absolutely can. I mean, our our devices, dude, our, our, our traveling television sets, and um, I think it makes a lot of sense. But like I said, my only concern would be um, how much taxing is it going to be on the streaming services. But, but 5G is coming on board now. You, I have fiber optic AT&T, which is remarkable. It's 300-something a bit per second, dude. I can stream everything quickly. Five different tablets. You can't even tell. Um, so, if if the networks that we use to stream or services that we use to stream grow and get better, then all of that can happen. It's. I think it's it's one and the same, right? The more it grows, the more everything else grows in terms of the bandwidth, but. The reality is the networks are still drawing 20 plus million viewers every Sunday afternoon in that, you know, that 325 slot. And throughout a day, you're still getting, you know, I mean, it's, it's, the, it's still the highest rated thing on regular television. But, you know, the demographics are real, like streaming services have younger audiences. And as our kids get older, how many of them will, you know, have not really grown up with your traditional cable? Uh, it, 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 I think... I think the ne- like this one makes sense in a lot of ways. I-, I expected it to be around you know 100 billion or so. Uh, the one in 2033, that next one, to try like just just trying to wrap my head around how much could change between now and then is nuts. But you just gave me a lot to think about in your answer. That's Gus Cadiel. We're gonna let him roll here in just a few minutes. Got one more thing I want to get into him with. It's the Pelicans. But before we do that, let me remind everybody, The Great Scott Show is sponsored by Suit Up, Suit Up Menswear and Tux Rentals, 3546 Ambassador Caffrey, located between Rooms to Go and Lafayette Shooters. Why Suit Up? Because it's locally owned, because you're going to have the best prices with the best service and the best selection. There's only one local men's store that can provide you with dress-up, 
casual, rental, and alterations. All four of those all in one place, all at a local place, and that is suit up. They got specials right now. Two suits for $300, all right, on select suits. You get free dress slacks with the sports coat purchase. They have the Southern Marsh brand in right now. Southern Marsh, Louisiana owned, born and bred. I got my Southern Marsh shirt from there recently because why not? Those field tech, that field tech fabric line, that shirt, man, I don't I never want to take it off because it's that comfortable. A little warm outside, it's keeping me cool. A little cool outside, it's keeping me warm. Southern culture, all of it right there. Southern Marsh, they have that line. There is a lot happening right now. Last special I'll tell you about, then we'll get back to Gus. Uh, wedding package, right, for rentals. Five or more paid rentals. If you're having a wedding or you know someone that is, five or more paid rentals with tuxes. The groom gets his rental for free. Okay, the ring bearer gets half off, and every groomsman gets $40 off. I mean, that is absolutely a ridiculously good deal, not to mention you're going to be looking great. They might have to throw in a complimentary stick just to beat the ladies off because you're going to have to keep them off of you. That's how good you're going to look. Suit up, suit up. All right, Gus Cattengale, our guest. Gus, the Pelicans, I won't get as much into last night's game as as just (laughs) a reminder that I can't figure this team out. They're so extreme. We talked a week ago. They had just been beat by 30 to the Timberwolves, the worst team in the league by a lot. Then they go out the next night. They beat the Cavs by a ton. Then they go out the next night. They put 135 points on one of the best defensive teams in the league and the best by any team in the league, 65% from the field, which was the highest by any team in the league this season. Then they're up by 17 against Portland on Tuesday with less than six minutes left. Teams in the NBA this year were 256-0 in such situations. They will not be more. They're 256-1 because, of course, the Pelicans seem to make history on a regular basis, one night it's good history, another night it's bad history. And I, I was on a podcast with Elliot Clough this week, his Pelicans Plus podcast, and he was, you know, it's like you can't just chalk it up to to youth. You mentioned David Griffin last year, but in a in, in a vacuum, you could say, yeah, you know, you overlook a bad team, you lose, you you play up and hard against a good team, that's youth. But if you actually watch the team, it's 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 not it's everything is so extreme with this team here we are a week later has your opinion about this team changed at all or is this just more of hell that's the pelicans for you both i mean i i do think you do see the progression okay i mean tuesday was disappointing but they played really good basketball scott in three and a half quarters and you play like that, you're going to be in games. You play like that, you're absolutely going to beat more teams often than not. Once the closer decides to step up and be that person and take over the team and have Zion, then more often than not, that's going to happen. Again, we still have to remember it is in its infancy. The roster absolutely still needs changing, so that hasn't changed. Bledsoe doesn't belong on the scene. I don't know why he keeps playing, but Same. he does. Um, I am excited what Tyra is going to be able to do. I think he is going to be really good. I, I think once Naw cannot worry about overlooking on his shoulder that he makes a mistake and he doesn't play, it's going to be a lot better. I think you've seen Jackson Hayes, maybe the light clicks in his head, you know, um, being benched helped him, which is why I don't understand why he doesn't bench some other guys to, to do that. Um, but this boils down to this. I think every game so far, man, as of late, more often than not, you're seeing better quarters than not. And in that Tuesday game, again, I mentioned several weeks ago about, you know, the keys, handing the keys to Zion. He, he's this team's closer. We need to stop saying who's, who is it, it, it him. Um, I came up Wednesday and Thursday on our show with the Zion rules, Scott. You know, the Jordan rules back in the day, and it was the rules to try to play him, rough him up, and all that stuff. I developed the, the Zion rules, and, and we had fun. And I asked our listeners, help me come up with a list that I'm going to laminate, and, you know, saving on needs to put it on the locker room when one was, he needs to be a run stopper. Uh, in terms of when one was, he needs to be a run stopper. Uh, in terms of when another team has a run of a certain amount and they're making a run 
Stan Van Gundy needs to clap his hands, get the attention of his team, and literally just yell Zion. That's the play. We don't need to hold the finger, say it's a dragon, or use another word. You just say Zion. And we, we develop it's a 10-0 run. If it's a 10-0 run, the next play has to be to Zion, okay? Um, five possessions. If five possessions happen and he's on the court and he hasn't touched the basketball, the next possession has to be Zion. If you feel like the team's stagnant on offense and needs to go to point Zion, he needs to, as a caller said, stand under the basket on a made field goal and demand the basketball and bring it up the court himself because he can't depend on his teammates to throw him the basketball. We came up with all really great rules um, because he's their best player. He's their best player. And Unfortunately, we've reached AD status where if the dude needs to go out to get a drink of water, the offense goes stagnant. Brandon Ingram dribbles nine times, and then the offense is stagnant, and Lonzo doesn't move the ball when Brandon's on there. It's almost like, okay, Brandon, go. As opposed to just doing the same thing that they were doing for three quarters or when Zion's on there and have Brandon play through the offense. Um, it, Zion's the key here, and, and I kept asking, and I kept saying that it needs some time, and I thought David Grubb brought a great point from Harden in the paint, um, came on this week, and, he said, and I said, you know, but it takes time, and he goes, does it? And, and I said, oh, I did Kobe Bryant wait? Did Michael Jordan wait? Did Dwayne Wade wait? Did LeBron wait? You know, he, he brought up he, a very good instance. He said he remembers when um, LeBron was going to be drafted by the Cavaliers. They had two vets there, and they came out publicly and said, you know, he's a rookie. This isn't his team and all that. He came in and made it his team immediately. Kobe Bryant, rookie year. Remember, he was taking game-winning shots in the playoffs, and they lost. They lost games in the playoffs because he took game-winning shots, and he missed. Michael Jordan, his rookie year, went to the playoffs. What did he do? He put up 60, right, against Larry Bird and the Celtics. I mean, he, he, and he brought up a good point. If you're the best player on the court, and you want to be great, go be great. And I, I, I'm starting to see instances like that with Zion. And, and I think he's, he's such a nice guy, man, that I think he wants to respect his teammates. He wants to respect his guys. You know, Brandon Ingram, I'm tired of hearing he's a young player. He's been in the league five years. He's on a second contract. He got a max extension. Um, it, but I do think that there is you know, sort of like I was using the example when I was talking about this on the show, you know, my intern's a lot more comfortable now, three years later, to suggest things. A lot more comfortable to say, look, this doesn't work. There's a lot more comfortable to say, like, hey, that interview didn't go well, or hey, maybe we should get this guy, or he'll call me in the morning and say, this is what we should do. He didn't do that when he first started. So I, I think as time moves on, you're going to see Zion just – enough and you saw that one instant back on Tuesday when he out rebounded three Blazers late in the game like think under a minute or so to try to give his team another possession when he just said did that and I think that's the one aspect of his game there's no reason a guy shouldn't get three it's harder to make a shot make a clutch free throw to make a three than it is to go get a board there's no reason that guy shouldn't have ten boards and if if he plays like that the, the whole game, where he gets it, and, he, and you've seen his offensive game switch, right? I mean, you've seen it this year. You've seen it from the beginning of the year to now, where he will take over. You will see him go to it. Well, the rest of his teammates think not understand. I mean, whenever it's Bledsoe on Tuesday, he decided he wanted to be Jordan, drive the lane, and have a shot for Kind of break, you're kind of breaking up there, Gus. We're having, uh, having trouble hearing you there just in the last few seconds. No, I'm just saying, like, you know, when, when Bledsoe drove the lane oh, yeah. and he was uh, trying to be Jordan and got a shot blocked. I mean, that, that's a possession man where he needs to be Brennan or, or, or Zion. So it's one of those things where you have to see it on the court. You know, a couple of weeks ago, what was it, a week and a half ago, you saw Steph Curry um, light into his team to play better and stronger. That's that next step that Zion needs to take. He needs to realize you're not hurting anyone's feelings. You're not stepping on anybody's toes. When, when the bleep's hitting the fan and it's time to win, he needs to take over. He can take over. He's capable of taking over. He needs to either demand that from his team or his team has got to understand that. I'm all about sharing the basketball. Yes, LeBron. 
to the open guy for the game-winning shot and such. I, I understand that. But when when it's time to win last year in the bubble, when it's time to, to take over and win that title, it was LeBron or AD, period. You know, that, that made the majority of those shots in play. And when they were doing it, then the other person was wide open and they might pass the ball zone for you to make it. You better make it. But that's what needs to happen. And so my opinion has changed and hasn't changed. I still think there's pieces that don't belong on this team, which is fine because it's still early. And you have to make those moves. You will this offseason. And you will either at the trade deadline or not. Um, but I do see the growth. And, you know, Wednesday, Scott, we, we had an overwhelming majority of phone calls of positive people going, man, those three and a half quarters, that was good basketball. They didn't close. Okay, that's the DNA of this team, so they need to learn to close. And that's where Zion needs to step up and then do that. But I, I thought it was going to be what was being kind of thing. This team stings, blow it up. And, and, and it was not. And earlier in the season, it was blowing up for Mark Hallmark. Now it's, okay, it was blessed. Or we need this guy, or let's draft this guy, or bring in this guy as a free agent. But there's enough good pieces, and I think that you're going to be able to compete every night. But it's like Drew Brees starting our conversation like we talked about him. What did he always say, Scott? There's a fine line between winning and losing. And, you know, it's literally a player there, or a play here or there. And this team has to realize that that applies to basketball when it comes to a possession or two. You cannot, you know, just it's away possessions. You cannot just not care about certain possessions in front of three. Up 17. You have a shot realize that. You can't take threes with two seconds off of the shot clock after you got the ball. I mean, it's, it's an air ball. It, it makes no sense. When Damian Lillard back-to-back threes, and then there was a, a missed shot, and then there was an 8-0 run, 10-0 run, and literally 40 seconds went off the clock, that's where Alonzo Ball needs to take that next step, like Rajon Rondo, and slow things down. Wait to five seconds on a shot clock and then get a break. And then if all else fails, do what I've been saying. Give it to Zion. Gus Caguiar, Saints and Pelicans correspondent. Uh, give it to Zion, right? Four simple words, I think. That needs to be repeated every single time the Pelicans get in the huddle at every single practice, every situation. Just give it to Zion. ESPN1420.com is the Great Scott Show, sponsored by Suit Up. We're going to let Gus Cattingale run. He's uh, got a morning show to host this morning. Typically, he's on in the afternoons. They're airing some NCAA basketball today. But catch Gus on a regular basis, noon to 3, each weekday. It's called the Sports Hangover, ESPN 100.3 in New Orleans. And uh, every Friday with me and many other stations around the state. He's uh, a busy guy, always generous with his time. And I uh, appreciate it, man. Look forward to chatting with you again next week. Enjoy uh, enjoy the trip. I know you and the family are about to go on. Stay safe and uh, all the best, my friend. Looking forward to it, man. And uh, I'm probably going to come back broke, but I am looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that, that, if people are like, where is he going? Is he going to Vegas? Is he, where is he going? No, no, nothing.